Leighton, people have to understand just how powerful they are. So, so point one is, is you are now all personally accountable for how you spend your time. You're not helping by just watching a podcast or going to a freedom rally. You make a difference. I am a husband, a father, a lawyer, a Christian, and a proud Canadian. I started this series because it was clear that our nation needs truth. Not just another biased narrative, but real information of substance. We need access to facts and the freedom to think for ourselves. I'm Leighton Gray, and this is Gray Matter. Hello, everyone. Welcome to another episode of Gray Matter. Well, I have good news and bad news today. The good news is that this past year, this past spring in Canada, perhaps the most important, significant public justice project took place uh, in this country, in which hundreds of people from all walks of life uh, got together and testified in various locations throughout the country to tell their stories, heartwarming stories, gut-wrenching stories, scientific uh, testimony about the COVID-19 pandemic and how it impacted them and impacted our country. That's the good news. The bad news is, for reasons that we're going to discuss today with our guest, hardly anybody knows about this or that it's even happened. And uh, on November 28th of this year, the final report of the National Citizens Inquiry is released. So our guest today, and we're happy to have him on, is Mr. Sean Buckley, who uh, spearheaded the National Citizens Inquiry and uh, essentially was lead counsel, uh, questioning, leading much of the questioning and the, and the testimony. So thanks for being with us today, Sean. It's great to have you on the program. Leighton, I am so pleased to be on your show. And, uh, you know, I'll let your audience know you also assisted as a volunteer counsel at the NCI. And we certainly appreciated your attendance and your help. And I, I'd, I'd like to correct you because okay. you're making it sound like nobody knows about the <laughs> National Citizens Inquiry. And it's clearly not enough people know. And for those of your, your audience that doesn't know, so the National Citizens Inquiry, it, it literally, it's all citizen run, all citizen funded. Um, almost all of us are volunteer. We had uh, a couple of paid support staff during the hearings, and we did pay for an AV crew to travel around. And thank goodness we did that. We could not have pulled that off with volunteers. But aside from that, all volunteers. And we appointed four independent commissioners and we did the impossible. And I, we didn't do the impossible. God did. Because mm -hmm. it was impossible, Leighton. How <laughs> does a group of citizens without money actually pull off marching four commissioners across the land? Like we went to Truro, Toronto, um, Winnipeg, Saskatoon, Red Deer, Vancouver, Quebec City, and Ottawa. Three days of hearings each day. 305 witnesses, all called by lawyers under oath and questioned and then questioned by commissioners. Um, and it was, it was magical. Mm -hmm. So, but the cool thing is, and why more people have to watch is there's something about the format that disarms those people that turn on the six o'clock news and they think that that's reality instead of fiction. Right. So those people that buy into the government narrative that this was safe and effective and, you know, cheered on what was happening and had their employees, you know, require police state papers to enter their businesses and did all of that stuff. Well, you could send them, you know, a video of Dr. McCullough and Joe Rogan and they won't watch it. Mm -hmm. 
but they'll watch Dr. McCullough on the National Citizens Inquiry because he's sworn to tell the truth. It's a formal setting. He's then questioned by a lawyer and then he's questioned by commissioners. And there's something about that. And we've heard, we've heard story after story about that. So why this is important for your audience is if they can get their family members watching the NCI, then, you know, it will change them and it'll change you too. Like I, I learned things that I didn't know and I thought I knew things. Mm -hmm. So, um, you know, and right and late night, in fact, just case in point, I remember you testified also. Right. And I think it was you that was, that was talking about how, um, Dina Hinkshaw was taking her orders from cabinet. Right. And see, I, as an Alberta citizen, I just, just I, I remember being mad. Why isn't cabinet running this? Right. Why is the public health officer in charge? Well, how am I going to know? And how's anyone going to know unless somebody like you that's involved in a lawsuit and discovered otherwise tells us, right? right. And we learned the same with BC that, mm-hmm. no, no, no. You know, the public health officer wasn't in charge. It was cabinet. So... Well, I want to dive. I want to dive into this in more detail with you. But before we do that, we should introduce you properly, which we have really haven't done. So, Sean is a lawyer who's been practicing uh, in private practice since 1995. He specializes in criminal and regulatory law, with a focus on protecting charter rights and testing the constitutional validity of legislation. So you can see how this came in handy during this inquiry. Uh, he has defended more natural health companies in court than any other Canadian lawyer and has an enviable track record in court against Health Canada charges. He's also the president of something called the NHPPA, which we're going to talk about. Uh, And in May of 2023, he gave his testimony at the National Citizens Inquiry in Quebec, where he discussed the politicization of COVID-19 vaccine approval. Uh, He's part of Buckley Hogan Law Office, has a team of uh, lawyers, um, and he assists clients with a number of different types of legal disputes. Now, as we always do... Uh, we're going to go on to our framing aphorisms. These are ones that uh, hopefully um, Sean will appreciate. The first one is from Plato, who wrote that if you do not take an interest in the affairs of your government, then you are doomed to live under the rule of fools. The second is from G.K. Chesterton, who once wrote that we have lost our national instincts because we have lost the idea of that Christendom from which the nations came. In freeing ourselves from Christianity... We've only freed ourselves from freedom. And finally, uh, from, uh, fr- from uh, the good book, and this is something that uh, I heard uh, Sean say, uh, in fact, it may, may have said it more than once, uh, and th- this is, uh, of course, our Lord's two commandments. The first is that you shall love the, the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and all your mind. And secondly, you shall love your neighbor as yourself. And uh, maybe we could start there, Sean, because I heard you give a speech uh, really, it was wonderful where you talked about this, the, the Lord's second commandment in the context of COVID-19 and the pandemic. And, uh, and what you said was something to the effect that, well, I don't want to spoil it and steal your thunder, but you said something to the effect that if we simply follow the second commandment, we probably wouldn't, we probably wouldn't need law uh, at all. Well, and, and that, it's, that it's actually a, a way of testing law. And, it, and you know, as a further challenge to your viewers um, to watch the NCI is every morning we had to give an opening. Mm-hmm. And I didn't do the first set of hearings, the, the truer ones, but I did every other 
set of hearings. So I, I got to give the, I had the, the honor and privilege of, of giving the, the openings. And I, I, there were no restrictions on me, which, you know, is probably an administrative mistake. <laughs> but in, in, any, in any event, um, I, I prepared the first set. But after that, the Holy Spirit just said, I'll take it open. Mm-hmm. And so it's, he would basically give me an outline and I would just have time to write it down before we'd have to get in the car and drive to that hearing and do it. So from, you know, Toronto day two onwards, I will not have gone through a single one of those openings, rehearsed them, nothing. It was just, I was given the outline, just time to write it down to go. Um, and so I just really had to rely on, on him speaking, but he made it really really clear um first of all we have to start forgiving each other and and we can perhaps go into that later but it it was all about treating each other as we want to be treating and loving each other the way we want to you know we want to be loved um which which is the whole point of the second commandment now our laws both civil and criminal are based on the second commandment. I mean, you as a lawyer will remember in law school, you know, Lord Denning, the, the great right. negligence case, who is our neighbor? <laughs> well, that's pure, pure second commandment. I mean, yeah. and it's actually, it's a way to test the law. If, if a law um, supports the second commandment. So if this is a law that you would support um, your neighbor having to hear to because it applies to you. And it truly is loving. Like it's, it's in your neighbor's best interest. Every single time a law passes that test, you just can't argue with it. Right. But if a law doesn't pass that test, um, you really have to question it. And our whole heritage comes from, you know, basically Christian philosophy. And so I really enjoyed you know, your quote about, you know, well, we've moved away from Christianity, but really all we've done is move away from freedom because the, the most free societies in our recorded history have been Christian societies, societies based on Christian principles, full stop. Mm -hmm. It's a historical fact. Now, isn't that interesting that our historical fact tells us that the freest societies in history have been those based on Christian principles. And skeptics can say, oh, yes, but, you know, we've had the Spanish Inquisition and this and that and politics. Yeah, you know, man can make a real mess of things. And, you know, especially in the, in the context of when basically you're having religious civil wars, which is, you know, where men, much of the Inquisition happened, is, you know, after the Protestant Reformation. So, yeah, and, and you know... Uh... This is a very important point because um, if you if you look at uh, and, I, and I'm thinking of of a famous quotation from Dennis Prager and he says you know where God is men are free where where God isn't men are slaves uh, but applying your test okay of the second commandment um, how well did uh, lockdown restrictions and uh, and vaccine mandates do how well did they do in terms of uh, meeting that standard in your opinion well it. And not, and actually not just the, you know, the application, but the, you know, enthusiastic endorsement 
by a large percentage of the population. Let's let's talk about the vaccine passports. Right. Which I don't even want to call them that because they were identity papers. Right. And and before I answer the question, I, I think I need to frame them as that because we have to understand that um, having to show identity papers, first of all, we have to call it what it is. It's a police state ritual. And, and so I need to explain that first and then we can we can answer that question. But it's a police state ritual to actually reinforce that the state's your master. And let me explain this. Mm-hmm. So, and, and I'll use restaurants as an example. So you live in Alberta. In Alberta, prior to COVID, we were free to go to restaurants. And if you, and, and the way we know we're free we were to go to restaurants is the only consideration was like, did you want to go? Mm-hmm. Like, you know, do I feel like Chinese food today? I'm, oh, let's go to a Chinese restaurant. Uh, Honey, did you take anything out of the freezer? No, no, I didn't either. Well, I guess we're going out tonight. Like, or, you know, you wanted to meet a friend. It was just, do I want to? But you didn't have to do anything. You had the right. I just, I just want to go. Right. Now, that's how you know when you're free. It's, it's just the only consideration is, is, is this something I'm choosing to do? That's, that's a freedom. Yeah. Well, the government took that freedom away. And so you actually weren't free to go to a restaurant anymore. You had to participate in a police state ritual of showing your identity papers. Now, if if you performed this police state ritual to a satisfactory fashion, then the state granted you the privilege of entering the restaurant. Now, subconsciously, and this is why they ask for identity papers, and this is why we're moving to global, you know, um, digital IDs and all of that, is it reinforces subconsciously in your mind that you are a servant of the state because you're having to perform the police state ritual in exchange for your master, the state, granting you the privilege Mm -hmm. you see a privilege is much different than a right Mm -hmm. because a privilege can be taken away right well it turns out rights can be too because we participated in this ritual so getting back to your question because you basically asked me well do i think some of these covid measures violated the second commandment so do i think that the state imposing the police state ritual of having to show identity papers to subconsciously condition the population to understand that they were no longer free human beings, but that the state was their master and they had to perform rituals in order to be granted privileges. Did that comply with the second commandment? There's no way that anyone that loves their neighbor like themselves would ever, they they would stand up and die to prevent their neighbor from having to do that. Right. So that that, they wouldn't be subjected to that themselves if they actually understood what was going on. So I would say that one, that one failed the test. Um, Do we want to try any others? Because they all failed the test. Leighton, you practice criminal law. I've had people, you know, break into other people's homes and beat them up and be put on house arrest that was less restrictive than, yeah. you know, what you or I were on. Yes. And we didn't do anything wrong except find ourselves in a situation where the state was basically um, enjoying too much power. 
I mean, and that's as, that's as kind as I can put it mm-hmm. because I'm, I'm of the personal opinion that this whole thing was, was designed and, you know, scripted well before it happened. Mm-hmm. And I think, you know, most people that would watch the national citizens inquiry from start to finish might reach the same conclusion. And, and I understand that that's a bold statement and some people would might, what, what are you talking about? But, you know, I think what just popped in my mind is, you know, one of the witnesses that we actually had testify a couple of times because new data came out later. Um, Professor Denis Rancourt from the University of, right. of Ottawa. Yeah. Where I know we were flooded with everyone was dying of COVID and, you know, and, you know, it, it's amazing. We were all surviving at the time. Um, but at the same time, like how many influenza deaths did, do we normally have in Canada a year? Like 30,000 or something like that. And, mm-hmm. and all of a sudden we have no influenza deaths. They're all COVID deaths. And we're not having any bacterial pneumonia deaths where we normally have a whole bunch. And now we have COVID deaths. And, you know, somebody gets, a young kid gets in a motorcycle accident and dies. And all of a sudden it's a COVID death. I mean, we had um, Scarlett Martin, a paramedic who testified in Toronto, you know, somebody jumped from a high rise building and she learned later that, well, that was classed as a COVID death. And like, she got sarcastic with them when she heard that she like kind of asked like, well, like, how did you test? Did you like get a spatula out and, you know, scrape a little bit off the road? Like, what are we talking about? So everything was classed as a COVID death, but it doesn't matter how you class deaths. A certain number of us die each year and they count it and we have reliable stats. Well, we have this pandemic that's apparently killing all of us. And yet there's no more of us dying than normally. Right. In fact, there's no more of us dying for the first full year. Now, mm-hmm. understand, Leighton, for the first full, full year, there's two things that put us in grave peril from this deadly pandemic. Well, first of all, none of us had natural immunity. Right. So we are all sitting ducks. So, I mean, the first year, that's when, you know, we should have seen the bodies in the street yep. from if it, there truly was a danger. Mm-hmm. Um, and yet we didn't have any more deaths than normal. Oh, now that's interesting. So we're in a deadly pandemic, we're being told. None of us have natural immunity. And yet we're not dying in any more numbers than we normally die. And then we didn't have that that salvation, that vaccine, that we knew it was safe and effective. We didn't have that for the first year. So it's just curious that our excess deaths, um, and I, you know, I, I need to be careful because in some locations there were excess deaths, locations where there were specific hospital protocols Right. To perhaps, oh, let's not, as soon as somebody lets, because we have a large number of people in the winter that show up at the hospital. So you literally could have a city in one province or a city in one U.S. state where you're having a spike in all cars mortality in the hospitals. And yet, you know, right across the line is another city of equal size or, right, you know, and there's no change. It's like, so we do know that there were bumps of excess mortality in specific locations, but they were all caused by government policy because a virus doesn't stop at the border. It, it just doesn't. And then we have, you know, bumps up in increased mortality as soon as we 
start introducing vaccines. And there's a perfect correlation in every state and every province and every country with each booster, you know, these little spikes for certain periods of time. So, you know, it's interesting that the the virus would wait until, you know, a booster was administered and then obviously attack people. Smart bug, smart bug. Oh, (laughs) we've never run across bugs that respected provincial and national borders. Um, And um, yeah, and that, you know, would wait until people received a vaccine before it would act. Like that was very sneaky. And I don't know, where does it wait? Does it like hide behind your ear? Is it under the couch? They haven't actually figured that out yet, um, but I'm interested for that research going forward. Well, so. you know, the best one for me was uh, was how smart the vaccine was in terms of going to the restaurant because you've got to wear your mask uh, until you get to the table. But then at the table, you could take the mask off to eat, and somehow the the virus just could understand. Okay, this is like it's like when you were playing hide and seek as a kid, and you w- would do the time <laughs> do the time out. But hey, Sean, um, I want to come back to the National Citizens Inquiry. Mm-hmm. And uh, I mean, there's so much to cover there. So I, I want to sort of talk about maybe in broad strokes, but as specific as we can be. I want to say, first of all, there are only two times, there have only been two times since the beginning of COVID that I felt like I was living in the country that I grew up in. One was during the Freedom Convoy. And the mm-hmm. second was when I was in Red Deer at the at the National Citizenship Inquiry. There's the only two times I've had that that feeling of, of being Canadian and being together and everybody, uh, you know, that sort of second commandment feeling, loving, loving your neighbor. So obviously you traveled all over the country, uh, questioned many, many witnesses. Um, and this is very hard to do, I know, because, uh, I mean, it must be just a storm of information for you. But if you could nail it down to two or three things, what were your biggest takeaways from the National Assistance Inquiry in sort of the, you know, let's say five 5,000 foot view. So my 5,000 foot view is, and was that God was, was revealing that we're a community again. So the original intention, and, and just so you know, the, I mean, the NCI is a secular group. We're just a group of, sure. of citizens that got together to put this on. We've never even discussed religion. And I would expect there, you know, would have been some opposition to my opening statements. And, and I wasn't, I wasn't planning on it going that direction, but it's just when the Holy Spirit says, no, I'm going to take this, you, you have to let this happen. But I was praying before and during Mm -hmm. that God would use it as a light in the hill because we're in an information war and, and never in my life have I been aware of such deception and such deception with such terrible consequences. And so I was just praying, like shine, shine the light so that people can understand the truth. Right. Like just reveal what's going on. Mm-hmm. Now, the National Citizens Inquiry happened this year. Mm-hmm. Like we started in March of 2023 and we ran hearings until um, near the end of June, 2023, people were afraid. Like we forget, like we forget because now we've had, because of the truckers, the truckers stalled the bus for the government. Mm-hmm. The lockdowns ended right after the police cleared them away. And we weren't locked down last winter because of them. And we weren't locked down this summer. So they brought us a reprieve because 
you can't tell me they wouldn't have had us locked down last right. winter, yeah. you know, but for the truckers. So, so we owe a debt of gratitude and, and in a way we're all just kind of, you know, trying to put what happened behind us, but let's not forget how afraid we were. You know, I was lecturing uh, two days ago in Morinville. There's probably about 350 people there. And I asked the crowd, I said, how many of you honestly believed that the army was going to go door to door, dragging unvaccinated people out of their homes and involuntarily jabbing them? Leighton, almost every hand went up. Now, this room would have had both vaxxed and unvaxxed people in it. Mm-hmm. But almost every arm, and, I, and I, I told people, keep your arms up, like, look around. And Alberta was one of the, the freest provinces, ironically. Right. But it didn't help that the opposition leader, Rachel Notley, was saying, you know, the army should go door to door. Yeah. Now, that is, and, and I believe the army, I was worried the army would go door to door late. Really? Dragging people out of their homes and vaccinating it, them. So it, let's not it forget. It crossed my mind too, to be honest. Let's not forget the, the depth of the madness, yeah. because how is it possible? How is it possible? And, and this is the second time I've asked that. The first time I asked that in Alberta, we had a room of about 500, and I think every, every arm went up. Mm-hmm. So how is it possible that the majority of people in a Canadian province, just extrapolating from this crowd, actually believed that the army would go door to door dragging Canadians out of their homes and injecting them with the treatment they opposed to having to take. Like how, how do we get to that point? But we were at that point. Now that is fear. And, and I think we can't forget it's, we're pushing it out of our minds and not realizing that was just a, you know, what, 20 months ago. Mm-hmm. When the NCI started, you know, I didn't want to, I wasn't planning on being in front of the camera. I, as you would know, I'd assemble teams of lawyers for each city and I'd have this list of volunteers right. and we touched them every now and again. And then when we got closer, we could start assigning witnesses. They started dropping out and I ended up having to call over half of the witnesses myself. Yeah. I didn't want to go in front of the camera. I can tell you, Leighton, when I did have to go in front of the camera in Toronto, and I remember actually being up at council stand thinking, this, this is putting me at risk. Oh, yeah. Yeah. And, you know, I, right now I'm putting together plan B. Mm-hmm. And, you know, some things have happened that I don't want to talk about that suggest, um, you know, I, I might not be in the safest spot. Mm-hmm. so we had witnesses feel the same way you know it, it was probably easier to win the 649 than to actually get selected as a witness at the nci i mean we had way more people wanting to be witnesses than we could possibly select you had to get through initial selection and then you had to get through the local committee and then you had to get through council preparing you and despite all of that and you had a lot of lead time before you know, from first getting through initial selection to testifying, we had people, we had witnesses, 
both expert and lay drop out on the day they were supposed to testify, not just lay witnesses. And we had witnesses drop out the day before or two days before. And, you know, some that I spoke to, it's like, oh, I'm afraid of economic consequences at work. I'm afraid of, of social repercussions from my friends and my family. And I understood because I was afraid. Now, this, this is this year. Mm-hmm. We had people in Canada afraid to just tell their stories or to just share their expertise. How is it possible? But, you, you know, you kind of ask what, you know, my takeaways from the NCI. Well, in this culture of fear, we became a community. We started to understand we're not alone. Mm, We're actually the majority and, and we don't have to feel alone. And let's, let's accept that we were afraid. Let's accept that we just felt all Mm -hmm. rolled over and isolated and didn't know what to do. And let's just embrace that and understand they're going to make us afraid again. But this time we're going to keep a a connection to our logical thought because we're going to, we're going to know that fear is just a chemical stress reaction. But if you understand it's happening, you can control it and you'll get through it. Mm-hmm. But stop. You, you don't have to be afraid anymore. It doesn't mean that that we're out of this. We're, you know, we're nowhere near out of this. Right. right. I, I feel like we're in the eye of the hurricane and and we're just about to get the winds again. Mm-hmm. And there'll be different winds. Right. Um, and there'll be pre-planned win, wins. Um, <clears throat> they can't have the majority of the population come to understand what has been done to them with these vaccines and, and you know, allow us to react mm-hmm. and start civil actions and start criminal actions, actually having the police investigate and the Crown Council do their jobs. Mm-hmm. We can't have that. So they have to, we have, they have to put us off guard before that. So I think people really need to prepare. But the takeaway for me from the NCI was, is God built a community and he's continuing to build a community. And what's interesting is after the NCI, and, and he wants us to forgive. If you're vaxxed, he wants you to forgive the unvaxxed. If you're unvaxxed, he, like, let's just put these divisions aside because we all had an awful experience. Right. We, we all ironically had the same experience. We just believe different facts, but the experience was the same. And if we had believed the other narrative, we would have acted exactly the same. Mm-hmm. And if they had believed the other narrative, they would have ex- acted exactly the same because we're exactly the same. People are people and we're predictable. And, and that's why things like psyops work is because if you can get people to believe something, how they're going to react is, is quite predictable. But Leighton, what I've noticed since the NCI is God's message has become much more action-oriented. Really? So the NCI was kind of healing. Yes, you were afraid. Calm down. You felt alone. You weren't. So, And you're not alone. Understand that you're not alone and plug in. But now it's kind of take time to take action. Have you, um, have you heard of Arthur Plesky's dream that's circulating? I, I've... I've heard it from two other sources. I keep saying I need to call Arthur and just verify. But have you heard of his fence stream? No, we I've had Arthur Pulaski on the program, but he didn't tell us about this. Please share it. 
Okay, so I've had two different people share this. One I saw like on a a pretty major podcast, and you know, from somebody that that I've got a reasonable amount of respect for, and um, and then another source, and I just like maybe I'll call him today because <laughs> I actually I want I want it to see you know have him flesh it out. But as it was described, is he has this vision of this fence that just goes on for as far as the eye can see. Right. And everyone is sitting on the fence. Mm. Now, and we know what that represents, doesn't it? Sure. We, indecision, <clears throat> inaction. And then God's hands come down and grabs the fence. And he starts shaking. <laughs> so everyone's got to figure out, well, which side of the fence are they going to fall on? Mm-hmm. Are they going to fall on God's side of the fence? Are they going to fall on Satan's side of the fence? Mm-hmm. And... At the end of the shaking, there's nobody left on the fence. So everyone has had to decide. What I keep hearing from speaker after speaker after speaker, and, you know, I also feel led to say when I speak and I've got, you know, the freedom to speak, is that God is now calling every single one of us because we're no longer surprised. We all understand this is a spiritual war. We all understand, and we don't like where it's going. And he's telling us, you're now recruited into the army. You you are being called to fight this spiritual information war. And Leighton, I can assure your viewers that from this moment forward, because they've had the unfortunate experience of listening to this and and they can't hide from the truth anymore from this moment going forward i can assure you that god is going to hold each one of you to account for how you spend your time Mm. because if you are on satan's side of the fence you know what the instructions are oh yeah you can go to that freedom rally you can watch podcasts like gray matter you can talk the talk but don't you dare do anything. Mm-hmm. Don't you dare write a letter to your MLA saying, you know, I don't want the province jabbing kids anymore with an experimental treatment that I think is causing their deaths or hurting them. Yeah. But, you know, let's just, Leighton, people have to understand just how powerful they are. So, so point one is, is you are now all personally accountable for how you spend your time. You're not helping by just watching a podcast or going to a freedom rally. You make a difference. You start praying, first of all, that God, you know, solves this. But you start praying and asking, what am I supposed to do? And until you get clear answers, you just start doing stuff. Like, you know, it's funny. I was on a a podcast or a a TV show um, being recorded on Monday. And it, and it, the dialogue's going on and, and it was a U.S. show. And I, so I, you know, I used the word state, but I said, you know, if there were a hundred people in your state and let's say there's a hundred state representatives and that hundred people committed to once a month, just once a month, that hundred people is going to write a letter to each of the hundred representatives, just talking about why they don't want, the state to be jabbing kids. Mm -hmm. 
Well, what, what is that going to take you? Is that going to take you like five, six hours? So once a month, because you got to write the letter. I mean, it, you just want a one page letter. Just I don't want you jabbing kids and here's why and whatever's current in your mind for the reasons why. And this is a voting issue for me. And and like, stop. Right. Well, all you have to do is change the name. So like, you don't have to write 100 letters. But that administratively is going to take you a couple hours because, you know, change the name, print it out, change the name, print it out. It's the same address to the state assembly. So you can put it in one big envelope, cost you 10 bucks to mail it. You do that once a month. If 100 people did that once a month to those 100 state representatives, each state representative will have received 1,200 letters in a year Mm. saying stop vaccinating kids. Mm -hmm. Now, do you think that won't get their attention? Mm -hmm. And that's just 100 people doing nothing. Right. Like what's four hours a month when we're murdering children with this shot? Mm -hmm. If a 1,000 people did that in Alberta, committed to sending a letter to every MLA, like what are there, 86 of them or something like that, every month which is nothing so what are you doing for the other 30 days you're doing like-minded stuff but understand how powerful you are Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. and don't assume they know and don't assume your family know and don't assume your neighbor knows i it's just it astounds me what people don't know once you once you start talking to them yeah yeah so um i we i've got it move on to another topic because I promised one of the viewers who, one of the listeners who tuned into my uh, ex live stream uh, this past week that uh, I would talk to you about your, your other big issue that you're working on. Uh, But before we do that, I want to mention that the NCI final report is coming out on the 28th of November. That'll be coming out. Um, And I believe, uh, well, it's available. It'll be available on the NCI's website, but, uh, Sean, I want to turn over to this other thing you've been involved with for a very long time. Uh, and uh, this is the the National Health Products Protection Association. My understanding is that you're a founder of this. And, yeah, uh, I'm, I'm, I'm one correct? of three founders. And you are uh, very involved and very concerned about uh, really a national health products crisis in our country. Do you want to talk about this? Why this is happening and, and, and what's going on? Because again, this is something that's not getting much attention in the media for reasons obvious, suppression and censorship. Uh, so you want to share with us really what you're, what you're working on and your latest oh. crusade? Yeah, ab- absolutely. So, um, so the Natural Product Protection Association, Leighton, it's a federal nonprofit that we, we incorporated in 2008. And I've, I've been helping with them ever since. Now, Health Canada just quite simply hates natural health products. I've been practicing in the area actually since 1994. And um, for that whole time, it's been clear to me that their end goal is to get rid of them. Mm-hmm. So basically move us into a model where, yeah, we'll still have some multivites and some single ingredients um, probably we won't, it'll be like Europe where you can't find a health food store except the odd one in a major city, but not in medium size and smalls. Um, so your vitamins and minerals will be in the, uh, the pharmacies and they'll be in label amounts that really will be meaningless. So, so basically they want to take us from the situation where they're a viable alternative to, you know, like right now in Canada, 
a large number of Canadians manage serious illness with natural health products because the chemical drugs don't work mm -hmm. and or create too many side effects. Right. That like it, it's it would boggle your mind how many Canadians are managing serious health conditions with natural health products. And there are there are, are many Canadians that are only alive because of natural health products. I don't know how much time we have, but the very first file I got involved with taught me this. I, I actually ended up acting. I, I knew nothing about natural health products and a herbalist in Kamloops, Jim Strauss was suing health Canada because health Canada had seized some herbs he was importing from the United States. And he goes to court for a remedy. And uh, I ended up acting for health Canada to defend them in this lawsuit. And, and I will tell you that Health Canada's waived solicitor-client privilege on this because later on he's charged by the province with practicing medicine without a license and he hired, he wanted to hire oh, really? me. Okay. Uh, and I had to get them to waive the privilege and they agreed. So, um, so as they explained to me, well, they seized the herbs and they're trying to shut the guy down because, you know, they've referred to him as a rogue herbalist. And can you believe it, Leighton? Um, he was selling unapproved treatments. Now, that sounds dangerous. It sounded dangerous to me because I knew nothing. And, and they'd say, like, you know, so people might delay taking approved treatments and, you know, they could die or, or you know, be injured because mm -hmm. they're, they're taking unapproved treatments instead of approved treatments. And even the word approved is quite fantastic. I, I had no idea, actually, of the legal philosophical horror show that we were in. Because in Canada, we've constructed our drug laws so that anything therapeutic is a drug and all drugs are illegal except for ones that Health Canada approves. So they're all illegal and then Health Canada grants exemptions. You look a little dehydrated. Do you have some water there? I do right here. Yeah, okay. Oh, I just broke the law. I'm sorry. I just, I just suggested that you use water to treat dehydration. <laughs> And I, you know, I didn't get that claim approved of by Health Canada and that water will not have been licensed and it wouldn't have been bottled in a licensed site facility. I just, I broke so many laws. I, I should go to jail for a long time. How do, how do we get around the illicit drugs then, Sean, that are available? Oh, don't get, don't get me started. And okay. I'll just, I, I'll <laughs> okay. talk about the juxtaposition okay. there on, on just crazy things. But let's just talk legal philosophical for a second. So. Sure. The starting point is, is we are only allowed to treat ourselves with treatments the government approves of. Now, let that sink in from a freedom perspective. So it means that you are not allowed to choose how you're going to prevent illness. And you're not allowed to choose how you're going to treat yourself when you're sick. Mm. It's the state that decides. The state will create this little group, this appearance of options. But you don't really have options because it, it is like the war on drugs is, is they just hammer um, and take away products that aren't approved because they can't get approved because they, they will not approve treatments for things like, like natural treatments for things like cancer and arthritis and erectile dysfunction and psychiatric disorders, anything that's big money is verboten 
Right. The, the problem Health Canada's had is, is that they're so popular. Every time they try to take them off the market, natural health products, we resist. So, you know, in the mid to late 90s, there was a huge citizen rebellion because Health Canada was trying to impose the chemical drug regulations on them. Right. And then again, in, in 2008, the Harper government introduced a bill that was just going to allow Health Canada to terrorize companies with, you know, $5 million day penalties and all these powers. And we rebelled. So those two are the largest citizen rebellions in Canadian history. Um, but for, you know, the trucker convoy, like that's, yeah, nothing, nothing can compare to that no. magical thing. And, and we owe a debt of gratitude to those truckers. We sure do. Sure and those political sure. prisoners who are right now going through mm -hmm. show trials. Mm -hmm. So, um, so Canadians are passionate about this. And so health Canada has been limited, but you know, now everything's speeding up late. And, and we all know that like this take on our freedom and options and getting us into 15 minute cities and climate tax and, you know, eating bugs and, and censorship, it's all accelerating and it's accelerating in natural health products. So Health Canada has what's called a self-care framework with, which is an octopus with a whole bunch of tentacles. And here's how we're gonna lose our natural health products is we're, we're in a drug model. We have to prove they're safe and effective. We, we shouldn't be in a drug model, but, but they're going to harmonize us 100% with chemical over-the-counter drugs. So right now, most natural health products we get through the efficacy requirement with traditional use evidence. You know, if we've been using ginger tea for a thousand years to treat nausea during pregnancy, we can just rely on the fact we've been using ginger tea for a thousand years to treat nausea. Right. Unlike thalidomide, we don't need to go through double blind clinical trials. Well, that's ending. Mm -hmm. We are no longer going to be able to use traditional use evidence except for the most minor things like a topical skin cream. Well, we're going to lose most of our products right there. Under this self-care framework, we can't get licenses for conditions for which you would seek medical advice. Well, now we're going to lose all the products that are naturopathic doctors or homeopathic doctors or Chinese tradition, traditional practitioners, you know, naturopath or herbalists. Right. Yeah. Well, what, how are they going to treat us if we can't license products for the conditions for which they treat us. So we're going to lose those healing traditions. They're imposing chemical drug costs on us. That in its loan, that alone is going to, it's, it's going to destroy the industry and, and give them central control. Cause what's going to happen is, is right now we have a whole bunch of small manufacturers well, we're going to end up with a couple of big contract manufacturers. So it's kind of like 20 years ago when we had a whole bunch of small abattoirs, which actually was safer if you wanted quality right. meat and safe meat. Right. But for our safety, no, it was for centralization so that there would just be a few pressure points to control the industry to ensure that, no, only vaccinated animals are processed. And if they needed to close down the supply so that we could switch to cricket flour and cricket burgers <laughs> that it's easy to do mm -hmm. because you don't need much manpower. That's what centralization is about. It's about control and central control is the opposite of safety. We're learning. 
Well, that's going to happen in the NHP industry. We're going to lose the small manufacturers and they can just shut us down by, by closing a few contract manufacturers for those in the industry that can survive the costs. Mm -hmm. And I think most of the industry won't survive the costs. And it's funny, like if I, this was a call with, you know, the naturopathic association and the chat function was in and there were questions at the end, it would be person after person saying, oh, that's fine. We're just, we'll just go underground with underground products. We'll still keep helping people. No, they snuck into the federal budget bill changes. So they actually brought in the chemical drug penalties and powers on June 22nd when that bill passed. So beforehand, you are facing a, a, a maximum $5,000 per offense fine if you were dealing with a natural health product and you happen to, to violate the regs. Well, now, now, Leighton, it's bumped up to $5 million per day oh violation. Goodness. And, oh, you're incorporated. Don't worry. The corporate veil is pierced, is pierced every director, officer, or employee who participates in or who even acquiesces in the offense. What the heck does that mean in a criminal court? Mm -hmm. Acquiesces to an offense. I don't even know what I've probably run 1500 clinic, uh, criminal trials. I don't know what that would mean in a criminal court. Um, wow. So, so no practitioners, you're not going to go underground because they're going to destroy, you know, a couple of your networks with these $5 million a day fines and all the other sheep are going to come into line. And we're not going to have that option. Now, fortunately, Leighton, they're going to use the fees they collect from the industry with this cost recovery. They promised us in their Canada Gazette documents that they are going to use every penny to hire inspectors <clears throat> to enforce the higher level of regulations and to go out and censor truthful health information. Because our government, Health Canada, in an effort to protect you, um, takes the position that practitioners and companies cannot share truthful health information with you. No, no, we have to censor. So the only information that Health Canada says you can share about a product is they will approve a label claim. So I, I like to use True Hope Empower Plus as an example. Like Empower Plus is likely the best treatment for major bipolar disorder, serious bipolar disorder in the world and maybe the best treatment also for major depressive disorder. But the label claim from Health Canada, because it is licensed, the label claim is something like it supports mental health and well-being. Well, you know, if you have a, a child that, you know, let's say you have a teenager that's now in that cohort, you know, bipolar, where they're involuntarily committed to the psych ward half a year, those people have a lifespan of, of roughly five years maximum, once, once you're that severe. Mm. Um, well, you could be in a health food store and, and, and this is the product that's going to save your teenager. This is the only product that's going to save your family. And you pick it up and it says supports mental health and well-being. You put it back down. Right. Yeah. Because you can't be told. And it, it's interesting. Just what's crazy about this product is there are 35, 35 published in peer-reviewed journals, art research articles on this product, all funded by government, including the Alberta government, none by the company, and published in, in blue chip journals like Journal of Psychiatry, Journal of Child and Adolescent Psychopharmacology. Well, prior to these $5 million fines being imposed in June, 
True Hope had links to all of those articles on their website. Those links have all been taken down now. Mm. The censorship is already taking effect. Mm. Now, how are we going to have good health outcomes when people in Canada cannot be told truthful health information about natural health products? How do people fight this, Sean? How can we make a difference? Okay, so go to the NHPPA website, so which is just nhppa.org. We have a subscribe tab. It's, you know, you can go to the bottom of the homepage. You can do, go to the contract, contact thing. Give us your email address so that we can contact. We do not flood you with emails. We're not one of those groups that you're going to want to unsubscribe to because every day you're getting an email. We probably do not send out an email a week. In fact, I'm confident we don't. Hmm. But we do send out an email now and again to update you what's happening and often to call for volunteers and to let you know about campaigns. So, you know, for example, we're just going to be launching a campaign to repeal the, these sections in the Budget Act that impose these $5 million a day fines because it's just ridiculous. So we've already written a bill. Likely it'll start as a private member's bill because I can't see a Liberal or NDP introducing it right now. Um, but we're, we've written a bill and we're, we're doing a campaign to get that sent to every MP and, and pressure for them to get, to get going on this. Bravo. That's great. Well, how can we involve you if we can't tell you? And so also follow us on social media, but Leighton, we also need people to support us financially. Mm -hmm. And let me just talk about this in a broader context for a moment, because I'm, I'm really mad at how little support freedom groups get mm. and and podcasters get you know like people watching this they won't know well we logged in beforehand and we were visiting and oh let's talk about this and that and afterwards we're going to debrief after you stop you know the recording we're yeah. going to debrief oh how to go in this and that well i ask podcasts because some of them i know this is what they do for a living right how are you surviving? Well, I'm going through my savings. I'm living like a church mouse. Mm -hmm. Some of them, I don't think will carry on. And some have stopped. Right. And some can't start. They try and they fall off because they're not getting support. Right. We're in a war and people are dying. And people close to you are dying. And even if you're not vaccinated, we're all getting this in other ways. I mean, Watch Catherine Austin Fitz about the great poisoning. Your life's being shortened and, and you're being affected and people you love are going to die over this. And you're not supporting podcasters. How dare you? And you're not supporting freedom groups. How dare you? And I'm talking to myself too. Yeah. Right. Like it's like we're fighting a war and we're not giving the troops ammunition. Would any of us be here without these independent podcasters? Yeah. You know, does the JCCF have to struggle for funds to fund lawsuits? It doesn't matter that we're losing in court. That's cultural right now. And the fact that those lawsuits are made and those arguments are made in a public courtroom are terribly important. And that people feel they're being at least fought for by people like you, Leighton. That matters. Well, they can't do that if they're not supported financially. And, and I'm just saying, how dare you? You are going to be held accountable going forward. And you just have to start. But you don't have much money. Just donate 10 bucks a month. But monthly be supporting 
those podcasters, those freedom groups that resonate with you, it's they, it's like they're the troops and they need ammunition and you're the troops now too. You can't sit down any longer. So, you know, on that note, those of you that are, you know, it resonates with the natural health products that we have to protect, support us financially. And we have a tab where, you know, it can be set up where your credit card's debited 25, 30 bucks a month. We're actually trying to budget late. And I don't know if you've ever been in a big campaign. We view this one's going to be a year, year and a half campaign. It's like, you got to have a budget because we've got, you know, we need a volunteer coordinator. We need campaign right. manager. We need this. We need that. We need support staff. This can't, we're, we're not going to turn this around with volunteers. It's not going to happen. Right. Yeah. You know, so, so that's how you help. And, and we have a volunteer tab. We desperately need volunteers. We need some people with campaign experience. We need a whole bunch of social media warriors. We also need some people that, you know, almost like with sales manager experience that can manage volunteers that are in information campaigns. So, so we have a, pre, a reasonably thorough um, volunteer thing where you like, tell us your skills, but we're in desperate need of, and we need some website people like some that can do the back end stuff. We're not talking the, you know, the glossy stuff. We're talking the serious back end stuff. We're in, we're in tremendous need for that. So get involved and yeah. other groups need that stuff. They need your skills. Mm -hmm. And, you know, if you email them, and they don't respond, understand they're volunteers and they don't have time to respond. So just keep bugging them until they do. Right. Right. Awful. Cause like, yeah. it's kind of like the NCI, you know, some people would volunteer and then they get, well, why aren't you responding? Well, cause we're a small group of volunteers and that hasn't been a priority yet. Right. <clears throat> so um, like be realistic with your expectations, but get involved. Well, folks, you heard it here on gray matter. Love your neighbor, help your neighbor, support your neighbor. Uh, Sean, thank you so much for this time. It's been uh, just splendid uh, talking with you and listening to you. Um, we're going to close off the show, as we always do, with something called the reading list. And uh, you're going to have the last word because you're our special guest. I know you have a couple of really interesting uh, selections. Um, I've got a couple here I'm going to offer, first of all. One is actually uh, a, a book that was published um, by the uh, NCI. It's called The Citizen's Hearing examining Canada's COVID response. This was released in December of 2022. And um, this was uh, compiled from uh, some testimony that was given by mm -hmm. some people, including myself, uh, last year. And uh, it indicates that, uh, you know, a, a number of Canadians were concerned about the COVID-19 crisis, how it was handled by governments and institutions, and were alarmed by the serious consequences of the decisions. And uh, so this a book is a, is, a, is a compilation of some of that testimony that sort of led up to the full uh, National Citizens Inquiry. And uh, I, I think it's a great book. I think it's uh, um, very, very um, illustrative of what was happening or what has happened in our country to people who lived through the COVID-19 pandemic. The second book uh, is... Uh, one from uh, a person uh, I, you mentioned you just met recently, Robert F. Kennedy. It's called Vax Unvax, Let the Science Speak. Of course, Robert F. Kennedy has been very, very involved uh, in this space. Uh, his, his other book, The Real Anthony Fauci, is already on our reading list, but this book was just released this past summer. And this book is based on over 100 studies in the peer-reviewed literature that consider vaccinated versus unvaccinated populations 
Each study is analyzed in health differences among infants, children, and adults who have been vaccinated, and those who have not are presented and put in context. And so you'll find information about infant-child uh, vaccination schedule, uh, uh, live virus vaccines, uh, a whole number of vaccines. And so uh, given the massive push to vaccinate the entire global population, this book is timely and necessary for individuals to make informed choices for themselves and their families. So Rashawn, I'll hand it over to you. And uh, I know you have a couple of great selections for us. So the first one is called The Crowd. And the author's last name is Lebeau, L-E space B-O-N. I think the first name's Gustav. Um, and it's about mass psychology and, and the mass mind, which is why it's called The Crowd, you know, written in the lead up to the second world war, when we were going through similar mm -hmm. madness. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. And the other one is reflections on violence by Sorel. I think first name George, but last name for sure Sorel. Um, you know, a book from a similar milieu, which would be very timely for the type of thing that we're going through. And, and just so you know, I don't advocate any violence. I actually think that because God's asking all of us to get involved, to retake our institutions. You know, you don't like a tranny reading to your five-year-old in kindergarten. You better be on the school board or, right. you know, organize others to be on the school board so that you have control over the curriculum. And, you know, just like Take Back Alberta is showing, well, let's, you know, let's get, let's get people that are freedom-minded into the conservative party. Well, Leighton, that has to happen for every party. Right. And, mm -hmm. and federally. Mm -hmm. And we have, you know, but people, we just need to, the problem is, is we were taught as part of the lie that we didn't have to be personally responsible, right? Loving our neighbor is actually being per taking personal responsibility for our institutions. So mm -hmm. second commandment doesn't allow us to be disengaged from politics and our institutions, but we were taught not to be involved. It was part of the propaganda. It was part of our training. I don't recall anywhere in my schooling both, you know, public or university, where I was told I have a civic responsibility to be actively engaged for my entire life in the institution surrounding me. No, you just go and vote. Well, what do you mean go and vote? We have a party runs the government and the party whip runs, runs the agenda. The real powers in the parties, not voting. I was never told I should be involved in, in party politics if I actually want to have a say in what's going on. So now we know that's a lie. So second commandment, love your neighbor like yourself. Well, my gosh, you don't want your neighbor just allowing the institutions to be run by a small group of people that, that don't have your best interests in hearts. So you better get involved. It's your actual God-given responsibility to be involved in our institutions to make sure that they're following the second commandment. So loving your neighbor involves serving your neighbor. Serving your community. Yeah, it's really, it's a yeah. lot of work. It, yeah. Love is an action word. It's yes. not an emotion. <laughs> so what our mother said is, love isn't just a word. It's something that you do, right? Yeah, mm. so true. So true. Sean, thank you so much for this time. It's been our honor to have you on as our guest. Uh, and uh, I'm sure everybody who's had the chance to listen to this or or watch it or, or both, uh, you know, has really gained an understanding of not just about COVID-19, not just about health products, but about a better way of living, a truer way of living uh, that is about human flourishing and about uh, peace 
and about love. So thank you so much for being our special guest today on Grey Matter. My honor, Leighton.